Awesome. Morning again, everybody. My name is Jeremy. I'm the assistant pastor here. And um, I get to talk about a word today that everybody hates. So this will be fun. Uh, that word is wait. One of the most difficult verbs in the English language. I'm from Central Florida. I spent the last 11 years about 30 minutes away from uh, Disney World. Can anyone guess how many times in that 11 years I stepped inside the gates of the Disney World? Zero. Zero. Do you know why? There's a couple reasons. But do you know one of the main reasons? It's so hot and you're just standing outside and your kids are angry and six out of eight hours that you spend there, you wind up just wrangling them in lines waiting instead of actually enjoying anything. Uh, in, in June of 2017, that's like, you know, hotbed right before uh, COVID when life was still easy and blissful. Uh, the Avatar ride at Walt Disney World clocked 319 minutes of wait time, actual wait time. That's over five hours. You're just standing out in the sun. Not the happiest place on earth. <laughs> so we're in a new series starting this week, uh, where the same author of the Gospel of Luke now continues his previous gospel. It's like the, the season finale of what he just wrote about in his book. And this is an eyewitness account. So he's living and watching the craziness unfold that's happening all around him. And he says in, in verse 1-1, to kick this whole thing off, he says, you have read about all that I have, uh, I have dealt with, all that Jesus began to do and teach, insinuating that what he's about to write about is all that Jesus will continue to do now through his church. And so we are at a like hinge point at the crossroads of the birth of the early church. Super exciting time in Christian history that we get to dive into over this coming semester. But we get to start really in the perfect place this morning. Because if you've been with us over the summer, we've been in this series called The Gospel Changes Everything, where you know, we've set this really giant vision that at least we can say one thing, one tagline that we want this church to be about. The vision for Midtown Creve Hall is that, it, that we would be a part of igniting a movement of gospel transformation in and around South Nashville. That can sound one very daunting, like how in the world do we do that? And also like very works-based, like, all right, then let's go do it. If we just spent this whole summer talking about it and bang that gong week after week after week, the question though is, if we are igniting a movement of gospel transformation, what's the match? What is it that is actually going to light that movement? What is the fuel that is going to ignite and burn to make something different happen here, to, Lord willing, to bring revival in and around Creve Hall. How amazing would that be for us to be a part of something like that? So to go back to that initial word, wait. That's the key word. How do we ignite a movement of gospel transformation in South Nashville? First, we wait. So uh, we are going to read a just thick couple of chapters, and then I'm going to do my best 
in under 30 minutes to tell you about them. Uh, so Catherine Singleton, if uh, we're going to hit the high points in Acts 1 and Acts 2, here is this, actually, that might be a little easier. Okay. If you want, if you stop, I'll just go, Theophilus. Okay, very good. Okay. All right, so this is Acts 1 through 11 first, and then we'll go into some different passages. In the first book, O Theophilus. Nailed it. I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard me, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into the heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians? and Medes, and Alamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, <laughs> Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, this be known to you and give ear to my words. So those who received the word were baptized, and they were and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. The word of the Lord. <laughs> Thanks be to God. <laughs> Catherine Singleton, everybody. 
Oh, that was wonderful. I think you may have spoken in tongues right there, even a little bit. Um, <laughs> all right, we're gonna get we're gonna get to the whole tongues thing in a minute, but there's so much here. So uh, let's do our best to ignite a movement of God in this city. The movement of this passage from Acts one to Acts two is that flow of Jesus says, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa." I know I just gave this giant task to you, but the very first thing you got to do, and this distills down into every one of our lives, the very first thing you've got to do for anything healthy and lasting in your life as you follow Jesus is wait. Before you go do anything for him, be with him. That is, that you can apply that across every bit of Christian living. But man, we love, we love to jump the gun. We love the early bird gets the worm. We love to carpe the diem. We love to grind. We love the hustle. Like that's the American spirit. I worked at a, a summer camp and one of the things we would send them out with every morning is we would say carpe diem. And everyone knew all the campers out there would go seize the day. Like that's very much the American spirit coming out in those little children right there. We love that. And there's a time for that. But again, that's the American spirit, not necessarily the kingdom spirit. Uh, because the kingdom spirit waits for the Holy Spirit for anything lasting to happen. So we're just going to hit this power dynamic, this power cycle of the Christian life in those two ways. First wait, then go. We're, we're jumping right in uh, to the book of Acts. So let me set a little bit of context about what is happening in the middle of this right here. Jesus has just been crucified and three days later raised from the dead. Now, I think it's also just helpful in some of these big categories that just seem kind of outlandish and wacky to have the disclaimer, uh, I don't have enough time today to talk about the resurrection. Uh, and we could spend tons of time talking about that. So for the sake of assumption, for this morning, to, uh, for it to be an understandable sermon, just go with me here that let's assume the resurrection really did happen. Now we're going to sort of jump over that. If there's more questions you have about that, we'd love to talk to you. But let's jump over that one crazy hurdle that Jesus did and go to the second one of now not only did he raise, he was literally dead and then raised from the dead three days later, then hung out with his disciples for 40 days, like ate fish with them and stuff. So he's, they were like, okay, you're sort of the same, but you're sort of confusing. You were dead, now you're alive. Now he's about to confuse them a whole nother time because he's going to literally fly up in the air and then disappear. What in the world is happening? We're going to try to do our best uh, to describe that today. Because, of course, you can imagine it would have already created the shockwave for someone who used to be dead to then be alive. There would, there would have been chatter about that. That would have gotten out around Galilee. That would have gotten out around Jerusalem. He would have been the buzz of the town and the buzz of the city. And that city more and more was a growing metropolis. And that could even begin to ripple outside of just Jerusalem into the surrounding areas. And in the wake of that, Jesus says, please wait. Because if you try to go now, if you pack your bags and go now, you're not going to pack the most important thing. And I'm not talking about your toothbrush because you were going to miss the power by which you were actually going to affect change in the world. So where he begins, he brings them back after these 40 days to the Mount of Olives. What's interesting about this mountain 
is it's the very same place that before his crucifixion, Jesus teaches about his return. And the disciples, as they're sitting there listening about his return, may have been asking, return from where? Like, where are you going to go that you're going to have to come back? And you see in a minute, they still don't quite understand exactly what's happening here. Where are you going to leave so that you have to come back? Because you're here now. So I figured you could just kind of take care of everything, which is what verse six says. Lord, Lord, they come to him. Is this the time? Like, will you now at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Are you finally going to make all of this new? Are you finally going to make all the bad people go away and make this thing, make Israel great again, make this thing what it used to be? Come on, isn't that what this whole thing is about? They're still missing it. They're still confused. Praise the Lord for his patience because we miss it. And we're confused all the time too, because that sounds like me. That sounds like my life. Can I, is it time, Jesus, for you to make my life perfect? Is it time now? I'm pretty sure it is that I can have my best life. And Jesus says, it's not time for that yet. I'm going to be with you like last week. I'm going to be with you in the world, but I'm not going to take you out of the world yet. There's still going to be problem. There's still going to be struggle. I, I greet those things as there's something wrong with the world. What Jesus is saying is that's actually exactly where I want you. So as you greet whatever problems may be in your life right now, whatever you may be bringing in with you, know that Jesus is both there with you and also in some very unique way is using that for your good and his glory. Okay. With that context set, let's talk about the ascension. What exactly is happening in the ascension? Literally, as he's saying these final words to his disciples, he begins to come off the ground. Two truths that I want you to know about the ascension. One, Jesus is not an alien. Like, I'm kind of joking, but I'm kind of not. Like, there are TV shows out there, or if you've seen the movie Contact with Jodie Foster from like 15 years ago, I told you all my movie references are 15 years old. Uh, there is a, a part in that, in the middle of that movie, which is about her making contact with extra extraterrestrials, where there's this creepy guy with a sign in this like mob crowd as they're greeting these aliens that says Jesus was an alien. That, like, legitimately, if there's not some other explanation for a dude just to sort of rise up and vanish, any explanation is a good explanation at that point. But then, if that's not the truth, if there is a biblical precedent to what is happening here, then how does the Bible help us to understand this? Go first. There's two main verbs that I want you to look at. The first is the idea of being lifted up. And the second is disappearing in a cloud. So let's consider those two things with sort of a biblical underpinning there. To be lifted up, Isaiah 6.1. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord. This is Isaiah having a vision, and he sees the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. So built into all of the scriptures is this idea of God as king, God as ruler. Uh, the, the Psalms describe like heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool. 
is the, the kind of images that all across Scripture come up. And so it makes sense that in, in the very same way that in the Persian government, there was this grand vizier who would ascend the stairs and sit at the right hand of the ruler to sort of execute all of the ruler's desires with the ruler's power and authority at his right hand. That's the image that's happening. That's the ancient context that's going on. So as Jesus is being raised up into the air, he is not disappearing into space. He is going back to be with his father at his right hand. Where he came from is where he is going back to. Secondly, to then disappear in a cloud. Again, all through scripture, clouds, smoke, even as this Isaiah 6 passage Verse 2 talks about the smoke beginning to fill, which is the glory of the Lord beginning to fill the temple. Or the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire that follow, or that the Israelites follow when they escape from Egypt. On and on and on, the glory cloud of the Lord. So again, you pair these two ideas, and what it means for Jesus to rise and disappear is that he is ascending to be crowned king of the universe with all the power and all the authority of God, his father in heaven. Now that sounds very grandiose and spiritual and unapplicable. Let's try to make that. That's what I found. Stop it. <laughs> this thing wants to preach my sermon instead. Um, so let's try to apply this a little bit more. Think of this image. When, <clears throat> when the disciples watch this happen, as if you or I were standing there, you would probably be thinking something similar. You're literally watching Jesus go up into the heavens, disappear behind a cloud, and then it seems to be that there's this image of them just kind of standing and gawking with mouths open and drool falling down their cheek. Like they can't believe what just happened. And to think a little bit, based on what they seem to not understand, they're still very confused about what Jesus is doing. A couple of things may have been going through their head. This is just a little bit of, a little bit of, um, of noodling. I'm not sure exactly because the scripture doesn't say, but a couple of things would be going on in my heart if that was what was going on. One, I may be looking up there going, all those things beginning to play back. All right, Jesus told me to do this, and then he told me to do this. He said this was going to happen, and then I had to go do what? And so all of a sudden, that Rolodex of all the things that Jesus said and all the things that I'm supposed to do now begin to, for those of us that are kind of busybodies, you may get that more of a sense. Of, okay, Jesus told me to go do stuff, so it's time for me to go do stuff. But this is totally weird, and I'm not sure exactly what's about to happen, but I guess I got to go do stuff now. Or on the other side of that, the fear side may be looking up into heaven going, I feel totally alone. And in, in the context of the normal Christian life, to either feel like you're alone and you got to muscle through or you're alone and there's no hope, so you're just kind of frozen in the moment. Either one of those things can freeze us when problems come. Either one of those things can freeze us from even trying to figure out what is the Lord's will for my life? What is the Lord's will for this situation? Those kinds of questions can and lock us up from whatever the Lord might actually in freedom be calling us into. Because when Jesus is gone and we're trying to follow a Jesus who we can't see, the Christian life gets complicated. And so how does the ascension help to calm those fears in us? Actually, what we're going to do is we're going to make this a little bit experiential. 
I want to give you a minute, actually a song, to begin to sit and answer this question. What situation in my life am I feeling frozen in? Like, what is something in my life right now that the Lord has put in my path and I'm just like, I don't know how I'm going to handle this. And maybe it's what comes out in you is it's time to muscle through this thing. It's time to like muster up all my gusto, pull up my bootstraps and go for it. Or maybe the other side of the room, the other side of your heart may be saying, I'm totally freaked out and I'm just going to go hide in my closet because this is too big for me. Wherever you may be swaying between pride or fear, would the glorious ascension of our Lord Jesus to sit with power and authority at the right hand of God and for him to say right before he left, I'm with you. He sits outside time and space now. It is better that he is there than that he was in Jerusalem because he could only do so much good there. Now, he can be literally with all of us at all times, which again is another brain buster. But how would that begin to settle the power and authority and eyes of Jesus are on you today? How could that begin to settle your heart from whatever fear or pride may be welling up for the struggles that you have in your life? And remember, because another thing that may come up right now is how can I be sure that that power that's happening right now, Jesus being ascended, how can I be sure that that power is for me and not against me? Remember that the reason Jesus is ascending is because he first descended. And what did he come to earth to do? To live and to die for that which you could not do for yourself. The pride and the fear, the muscling through or the withdrawing that our hearts naturally go to all the time. The trust in ourselves instead of the trust in him that we naturally go to every time. He came to die for all that. And he came to purchase a people for himself that is you. And so as he rises with you in his mind, and as you continue to live this life, even though you can't see him, to rest in the fact that he sees you. So Janie, crew, as they get set up, I, I want to read Hebrews 7.25. This is the hope that we have. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Christ. Since he always lives, he never stops living. He never stops, his power never runs out. He always lives to make intercession for them. Let him intercede for you now.
you were able to take a moment and just breathe deep and the goodness of the Lord is over you in Christ so the movement now as 
we wait in the Lord for him to do the heavy lifting that we can't do, he also calls us, we have agency. Uh, and he calls us in this great adventure that is living in following him, empowered by his spirit. So it reminds me, uh, this past week, my kids, two of my kids have had COVID and they've been passing it between the two of them. So it's been a fun two weeks of school or lack of school that they've gotten to have. Lots of Fortnite though. Um, but my middle kid and I, uh, last Monday, he was out of school and we went out to the Caney Fork River about an hour east of here. And uh, it's a dam controlled lake. So the, the tide kind of, ra- sorry, I'm speaking ocean, but you know, Lake goes up, or river goes up, river goes down, depending on uh, if the dam is open or closed. And we found this one spot where you could drive down, and because the water was low, you could pull down onto the riverbed. And it was so much fun. So we're pulling down onto the riverbed, we're swimming, we're fishing, we're, you know, laughing and cutting up. And then uh, all of a sudden, Gray looks at my, my left front tire and goes, Dad, the water's getting really close to your tire there. And I was like, oh, shoot, you're right. And sure enough, about three o'clock, they began to generate some electricity and let some water go out of that dam. And if you know much about my family, uh, we all collectively are just slow at everything. And so Gray and I sort of slowly took our time, you know, the water, the tire was getting a little wet, didn't think much of it, getting all our stuff put up and, you know, getting set uh, back in the car for the drive back. And then I look behind us and between me and the, the ramp to get up, you know, typically with a boat ramp, they like dredge out a big hole so the boats don't bottom out when they go. So I had to kick it into four wheel. There was probably five more minutes and my truck would have been stuck in that thing. Now, kicking it into four wheel, there was a guy, <laughs> there was a guy to my left who I didn't see uh, who was like, they were picking up kayakers who had come down the river and I kick it in four wheel and go up the thing. And I'm like, four wheel drive, baby. I just got a truck. So it's just a new thing for me. And, uh, and Gray's yelling and having fun. And then I looked out my window and this guy's like laughing at me, uh, as I didn't see him over there, but that, that image of the water is rising. Uh, and if we had waited five more minutes, literally we would have been swamped. So there they are, they're looking up into heaven, and there's this sense of urgency now that begins to come over them, rightly, like, I think it's time to go do something. And the, the tide is rising, and Jesus, everything he said would happen is beginning to happen, and then they go, hey, wake up, you, don't keep looking up there, because water's about to fill your truck, you better get after it now, like, it's time, It's time to go. So these two angels show up and they break them out of their stupor and say, listen, in the same way he went up, he's also coming back down. So let's get after it. It's time. Maps of the ancient world do not have, surprisingly, do not have North America at their center. Did you you know that? That's weird, isn't it? Right? Maps in this time, in this time and day had Jerusalem at its center, and for centuries after that. Why? Because what is happening, even in the Christian influence of the world at this time, there is something about to break out. This is an Eastern religion happening in places like Syria and Palestine and Iraq and Iran. That's where this thing originated. 
This is not an American Christianity, or Christianity is not an American religion first. Praise the Lord that this happened, or we would not be sitting in these seats. If this was still primarily a thing just with God and Israel, we would not be sitting in these seats. Praise the Lord, there's more to it than that. So here's the quickest description I can muster on tongues. Ready? (laughs) Okay, Uh, chapter 2, 1 through 12. Rushing wind, freight train sound like when a tornado is coming through your yard. Uh, fire-like tongues appearing, sitting over every person's head who was there. And then it says they began to speak in other tongues, not random sounds, but it says they spoke in other tongues that people from all of those places that are hard to pronounce, which literally represented all of those places, if you were to map dot them, it represented the entirety of the ancient world and the various regions therein. So all of those places, if the center of the map dot is Jerusalem, all of those places around it are represented right there because there's this festival that has brought all these people here. Is God not sovereign and amazing? And as he brings all these people together, he says, it's time, guys. It's time. It's time for this not to just be a me and Israel thing. It's time for the gospel to go out to all tribes, all tongues, all nations. That's what the the goal initially was, and that's what now is being fulfilled. Because the easiest way to understand what's happening in Pentecost is it is a reversal of the Tower of Babel. Quick description on that story, all the way back in Genesis 11, man has fallen into sin. It gets worse and worse and worse. They, they do the like fill the earth and subdue it thing, but they do it for their own glory and not the glory of the Lord. They build this giant tower. They're applauding themselves. Man, this world that we make is going to be so awesome and we're going to be so awesome as we do it. God didn't like that. Confused all their languages, spread them all across the world. Genesis, that was Genesis 11. Genesis 12, God calls Abraham. He says, out of you, I'm going to make a great nation. Nation of Israel is born. God has this special, unique relationship, mostly with this unique group, cultural group of people all the way through the Old Testament, with a couple of exceptions. When we enter Acts 2, God, said, God is saying, this is no longer the goal. It never was the goal. This is the fulfillment of the goal. Now, if Babel hadn't have happened, talk about him using something bad to turn into something good. The spreading of all nations, tribes, and languages across the face of the earth happened because of that. But that was never the intention. The intention is for this gospel to fill the earth as the water covers the sea, for the glory of the Lord to span from east to west, north to south. And so Babel is now being reversed or being fulfilled where one message can cross every nationality, every language barrier, every cultural barrier, and that is we are reconciled sinners saved by the grace of Jesus. Anybody across any cultural background can get on board with that. And so then in that context, Peter, this may be the wisdom where Peter gets that 1 Peter 3.15 thing of always be ready to give an account for the hope that you got. He's literally like watching all of this happen, and then he goes, okay, I guess it's time to say something. And so he stands up and he preaches this sermon and 3,000 people are saved. Now, here we go again. How do we take that big category and apply it to us today? The easiest way to say it is that the same Holy Spirit that came both empowered 
the speakers and the hearers of the message that day. The speakers had to be empowered by the Spirit to be able to say something that was coherent. The listeners, not only to hear physically, but to hear the gospel in their hearts and believe, had to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do that. And the very same thing is true across the world today. The Holy Spirit has to be working in the people who are speaking, and the Holy Spirit has to be working in the people who are listening. And that is not only talking about new believers, new people coming to know, uh, to know Christ because of the preaching of other people. That is talking about you and me. Like literally, for us to grow in the power of the gospel, which is not just what we do to get in, it's what we, we live by. The good news that we talked about all summer is what we do to grow ourselves and how the Lord grows us by good news after good news after good news of Jesus. But for that to hit, you know the difference when something hits you here and when you're just like, oh, that's a neat sermon or that's a neat idea or that's a neat podcast or that's a neat book or that's a neat passage. The Holy Spirit every once in a while though captures your heart and settles that down deep and begins to form something new in you, new creation happening inside of you. That's what's happening here, and that same pattern continues to work itself out today as we evangelize the nations and as we continue to evangelize each other, sharing the gospel, speaking the gospel, sharing the good news one to another because we need to hear it all the time. So much more that could be said, but just one final reminder that Matthew 28, this may not necessarily be a call for you to go across the pond or across the world. It may be. I think for most of us, though, this is just a call, one, to potentially go across the street, and two, to sit across the table and continue to share this good news and trust that the Holy Spirit is helping us more and more to believe it and more and more better to be able to communicate it to this watching world and to each other that needs it so deeply. And let's see. Let's pray and see what the Lord might do. Something neat seems to be happening here. Could there be a revival in Nashville? Could there be a revival up and down Nolensville Road? Could there be a revival up and down Franklin? Could there be a revival from in town to Brentwood where more and more and more people every week flood into worship houses all across the city with this kind of power, not man-made at its center? Let's pray for that. Father, we pray that your gospel would go forth in power that you would be glorified in every tribe and tongue and nation. Thank you for the ways literally you have brought the nations here. We pray for our, our Kurdish brothers and sisters who have been displaced uh, as refugees and now live literally in our backyards. We pray that there would be a revival amongst them. We pray that there would be a deep sense uh, that even though they are displaced, that they would be seen and rest their souls in you. Uh, we pray the same thing uh, for every other culture and tribe and language, our own included. We need Jesus. Our nation needs Jesus. Uh, our cultures that we represent today need Jesus. Uh, would you find us? Would you empower us? And would you give us wisdom to know how, when, and where we should go? We pray this in Christ. Amen.